4. Our vegan our tables, is made of wheat flour with a moderate mixture of rye to give the sour taste. Rice, rice consists chiefly of starch, and makes nutritious puddings or cakes, and may be used as a vegetable, in the place of potatoes, with meat and fish. It island however, lacking in flavor, and when properly cooked, contains so much water that it has to be eaten in very large amounts to furnish much nutrition. Potatoes. The only important starchy food outside of the grains is potatoes. These contain considerable amounts of starch, but mixed with a good deal of cellulose, or vegetable fiber, and water, so that, like rice, large amounts of them must be eaten in order to furnish a good fuel supply. They, however, make a very necessary article of diet in connection with meats, fish, and other vegetables. As a rough illustration of the fuel value of the different starch foods, it may be said that in order to get the amount of nourishment contained in an ordinary pound loaf of wheat or white bread, it would be necessary to eat about 7 pounds of cooked rice. As it comes on the table, about 12 pounds of boiled potatoes, or a bowl of oatmeal porridge about the size of a wash basin. Sugar is where sugar is obtained. The other great member of the starch, or carbohydrate, group of foods is sugar. This is a scarcer and more expensive food than starch because, instead of being found in solid masses in grains and roots like starch, it is scattered, very thinly, through the fruits, stems, and roots of a hundred different plants, seldom being present in greater amounts than two or three percent. It island however, so valuable a food, with so high a fuel value, and is so rapidly digested and absorbed, that man has always had a very keen desire for it, or, as we say, a sweet tooth, and has literally searched the whole vegetable kingdom the world over to discover plants from which it could be secured in larger amounts. During the last 200 years it has been obtained chiefly from two great sources, the juicy stem of a tall, coarse reed, or cane, the sugar cane, growing in the tropics, and within the last 50 years the sweet juice of the large root of a turnip-like plant, the beet, another source of sugar, in the earlier days of this country, was the juice or sap of the sugar maple, which is still greatly relished as a luxury, chiefly in the form of syrup, honey is nearly pure sugar together with certain ferments and flavoring extracts, derived in part from the flowers from which it is gathered, and in part from the stomach, or crop, of the bee, the food value of sugar, in the early days of its use, sugar, on account of its expensiveness, was looked upon solely as a luxury, and used sparingly either as a flavoring for less attractive foods, or as a special treat, and like most new foods, it was declared to be unwholesome and dangerous, but sugar is now recognized as one of our most full and valuable foods, in fuel value, it is the equal, indeed the superior, weight for weight, of starch, and as all starch has to be changed into it before it can be used by the body, it is evident that sugar is more easily digested and absorbed than starch, and furnishes practically a ready-made fuel for our muscles, how we should use sugar, the drawbacks of sugar are that, on account of its exceedingly attractive taste, we may eat too much of it, and that, because it is so satisfying, if we do eat too much of it either between meals or at the beginning of meals, our appetites will be killed before we have really eaten a sufficient supply of nourishing food, but all we have to do to avoid these dangers is to use common sense and a little self-control, without which any one of our appetites may lead us into trouble, on account of this satisfying property, sugar is best eaten at, or near, the close of a meal, and taken at that time, there is no objection to its use nearly pure, as in the form of sweetmeats, or good wholesome candy, 
its alleged injurious effects upon the teeth are largely imaginary and no greater than those of the starchy foods, the teeth of various tropical races which live almost entirely on sugar cane during certain seasons of the year are among the finest in the world, and any danger may be entirely avoided by proper brushing and cleaning of the teeth and gums after eating. Illustration, candy, like other foods, should be clean. Candy sold on the street is always questionable. It should never be bought from a cart or stand that is not covered with glass. If eaten in excess, sugar quickly gives rise to fermentation in the stomach and bowels, but so do the starches and the fats. If overindulged in, its real value as a food may be judged from the fact that the German army has made it a part of its field ration in the shape of cakes of chocolate, and that the United States government buys pure candy by the ton, for the use of its soldiers. Footnotes, on this account. They are often spoken of as carbohydrates, or, carbon water stouts. See page 11, chapter VI The coal foods continued animal fats The digestibility of fats. We have now come to the last group of the real coal foods, namely, the fats. Fats are the hottest and most concentrated fuel that we possess, and might be described as the anthracites, or hard coals, of our coal foods. They are, also, as might be expected from their strength or concentration among the slowest to digest of all our foods, so that, as a rule, we can eat them only in very moderate amounts, seldom exceeding one-tenth to one-sixth of our total food fuel. It is not, however, quite correct to say that fats are hard to digest, because, although from their solid, oily character, they take a longer time to become digested and absorbed by the body than most other foods, yet they are as perfectly and as completely digested, with the healthy person as any other kind of food. Indeed, it is the slowness of digestion which gives them their well-known staying power as a food, their place in our diet. The wholesomeness of fats is well shown by our appetite for them, which is very keen for small amounts of them witness. For instance, how quickly we notice and how keenly we object to the absence of butter on our bread or potatoes. To have our bread well buttered is a well-known expression for comfort and good fortune yet a very little excess will turn our enjoyment into disgust, fat, and particularly the cold fat of meat, bags us if we try to eat too much of it. Fortunately, most of these fat foods are quite expensive, pound for pound, and hence we are not often tempted to eat them in excess, within proper limits. Then, fats are an exceedingly important and full food a valuable member of the great family of cold foods. The advantages of fat as a ration the high fuel value and the small bulk of fats give them a very great practical advantage whenever supplies of food have to be carried for long distances, or for considerable lengths of time, as in sea voyages and hunting and exploring trips, so that in provisioning ships for a long voyage, or fitting out an expedition for the Arctic regions, fats, in the shape of bacon or pork, pemmican, or the richer dried fishes, like salmon, mackerel, and herring, will be found to play an important part. Fats also have the great advantage, like the starches, of keeping well for long periods, especially after they have been melted and sterilized by boiling, or rendering, as in the case of lard, or have had moderate amounts of salt added to them, as in butter, if you were obliged to pick out a ration which would keep you alive, give you working power, and fit into the smallest possible bulk, you would take a protein, a sugar, and a fat in about equal amounts, indeed. The German emergency field ration, intended to keep soldiers in the field for three or four days without their baggage wagons, or quick trains, is made up of bacon, pea meal, and chocolate, 
a small packet of these, which weighs only a little over two pounds, and which can be slipped into the knapsack, will, with plenty of water, keep a soldier in fighting trim for three days, butter, the most full and wholesome single fat is the one which is in greatest demand butter, this, as we have seen, is the churned and concentrated fat of milk, to which a little salt has been added to keep the milk acid lactic acid which cannot be entirely washed out of it, from, turning it sour, or rancid, the rancid, offensive taste of bad or, strong, butter is due to the formation of another acid called butyric, buttery, acid, butter is the best and most wholesome of our common fats because it is most easily digested, most readily absorbed, and least likely to give rise to this butyric acid fermentation, we should be particularly careful, even more so almost than with other foods, to see that it is perfectly sweet and good, because when we swallow rancid butter, we are simply swallowing a ready-made attack of indigestion, most people's stomachs are strong enough to deal with small amounts of rancid butter without discomfort, but it is a strain on them that ought to be avoided, especially when good butter is simply a matter of strict cleanliness and care in handling and churning the cream, and of keeping the butter cool after it has been made, plenty of sweet butter is one of the most important and necessary elements in our diet, especially in childhood, and if children are allowed to eat pretty nearly as much as they want of it on their bread or potatoes, and plenty of its liquid form, cream, on their berries and puddings, it will save the necessity of many a dose of cob liver oil, or better physic, cream is far superior to either cob liver or castor oil for keeping us in health, oleomargarine, on account of the expensiveness of butter, there are a number of substitutes sold, which go under the name of oleomargarine, these are made of the fat, or suet, of beef or mutton, mixed with a certain amount of cream and real butter, to give them an agreeable flavor, they are wholesome and full fats, and for cooking purposes may very largely be substituted for butter, owing to the fact that their fat is freer from the milk acids, they keep better than butter, and sweet, sound oleomargarine is to be preferred to a rank, rancid butter, but it is not so readily digestible as butter is, is more liable to give rise to the butyric acid fermentations in the stomach, is not nearly so appetizing, and its sale is, and under the name of, butter is a fraud which the law rightly forbids and punishes, illustration, a small store, cleanly and honest the milk is well kept, the bread and candies are under glass, and, butterin, is not sold as butter, lard, the next most full and generally used pure fat is lard the rendered, or boiled down, fat of pork, it is a full substitute for butter in cooking, where butter is scarce, but, even in pastry or cakes, it has neither the flavor nor the digestibility of butter, and the latter should always be used when it can be had, bacon and ham, the most full and digestible fat meats are bacon and ham, as the dried, salted, and usually smoked, meat of the pig is called, like all other fats, they can be eaten only in moderate amounts, but thus eaten, they are both appetizing, digestible, and very nutritious, one good slice of breakfast bacon, for instance, contains as much fuel value as two large saucers of mush or breakfast food, or two eggs, or two large slices of bread, or three oranges, or two small glasses of milk, or a quart of berries, nuts how nuts should be used, another form of fat is the meat of different nuts walnuts, pecans, almonds, etc., these are quite rich in fats, and also contain a fair amount of proteins, and are, in small quantities, like other fats, appetizing and full articles of food, but they should not be dependent upon to furnish more than a small amount of the whole food supply, or even of its necessary fat, 
because nearly all nuts contain pungent or bitter aromatic oils and ferments, which give them their flavors, but which are likely to upset the digestion. This is particularly true of the peanut, which is not a true nut at all, but island as its name indicates, a kind of pea grown underground. Peanuts, on account of their large amount of these irritating substances, are among the most indigestible and indesirable articles of diet in common use. A certain amount of these irritating substances present in nuts may be destroyed by careful roasting and salting, but this must be most carefully done, and it shrinks them in bulk so that the finished product is far more expensive than butter or fat meat of the same nutritive value. Good salted almonds, for instance, cost 50 to 80 cents a pound. The proper place for nuts is where they usually come on our tables at the end of a meal. Those who attempt to cure themselves of dyspepsia by a nut diet are simply making permanent their disease. Footnotes, pemmican is a sort of canned beef made originally out of the best parts of venison and buffalo meat. This is boiled and packed into skin bags, then melted fat is poured in so as to fill up all the chinks and form a thick layer over the surface. It is now made of beef packed in canvas bags and is much used by polar expeditions and Alaskan miners. Chapter VII Kindling and Paper Foods Fruits and Vegetables The Special Uses of Fruits and Vegetables We come now to the very much larger but much less important class of foods the kindling foods, which help the coal foods to burn, and supply certain stuffs and elements which the body needs and which the coal foods do not contain. These are the vegetables other than potatoes and dried peas and beans and fruits. Fruits and vegetables contain certain mineral elements which are not present in sufficient proportions in the meats, starches, and fats. Furthermore, the products of their digestion and burning in the body help to neutralize, or render harmless, the waste products from meats, starches, and fats. Thirdly, they have a very beneficial effect upon the blood, the kidneys, and the skin. In fact, the reputation of fruits and fresh vegetables for purifying the blood and clearing the complexion is really well deserved. The keenness of our liking for fruit at all times, and our special longing for greens and sour things in the spring, after their scarcity in our diet all winter, is a true sign of their wholesomeness. Not the least of their advantages is that they contain a very large proportion of water, and this, though diminishing their fuel value, supplies the body with a naturally filtered and often distilled supply of this necessary element of life. One of the best ways of avoiding that burning summer thirst which leads you to flood your unfortunate stomach with melted icebergs, in the form of ice water, ice-cold lemonade, or soda water, is to take an abundance of fresh fruits and green vegetables. Many of the vegetables contain small amounts of starch, but few of them enough to count upon as fuel, except potatoes, which we have already classed with the coal foods. Most fruits contain a certain amount of sugar how much can usually be estimated from their taste and how little can be gathered from the statement that even the sweetest of fruits, like ripe pears or ripe peaches, contain only about 8% of sugar. They are all chiefly full as flavors for the less interesting staple foods, particularly the starches. In fact, our instinctive use of them to help down bread and butter, or rice, or puddings of various sorts, is a natural and proper one, like the vegetables. They contain various salts which are full in neutralizing certain acid substances formed in the body. Soldiers in war, or sailors upon long voyages, who are fed upon a diet consisting chiefly of salted or preserved meat, with bread or hard biscuit and sugar, but without either fruits or fresh vegetables, are likely to develop a disease called scurvy. Little more than a century ago, 
Hundreds of deaths occurred every year in the British and French navies from this disease, and the crews of many a long exploring voyage like Captain Cook's or of searchers for the North Pole, have been completely disabled or even destroyed entirely by scurvy. It was discovered that by adding to the diet fruit, or fresh vegetables like cabbage or potatoes, scurvy could be entirely prevented, or cured, their low fuel value, how little real fuel value fruits and vegetables have, may be easily seen from the following table, in order to get the nourishment contained in a pound loaf of bread, or a pound of roast beef, you would have to eat, 12 large apples or pears 5 pounds, for 1 2 cuties, of strawberries, a dozen bananas 3 1 2 pounds, 7 pounds of onions, 2 dozen large cucumbers 18 pounds, 10 pounds of cabbage, 1 2 bushel of lettuce or celery, apples, the most wholesome fruit, head and shoulders above all the other fruits stands that delight of our childhood days, apples, well ripened, or properly cooked, they are readily digested by the average stomach, though some delicate digestions have difficulty with them, they contain a fair amount of acids, and from 5 to 7 percent of sugar, Their general wholesomeness and permanent fullness may be gathered from the fact that they are one of the few fruits which you can eat almost daily the year round, or at very frequent intervals, without getting tired of them. Food that you don't get tired of is usually food which is good for you. Dried apples are much inferior to the fresh fruit, because they become toughened in drying, and because growers sometimes smoke them with fumes of sulfur in the process, in order to bleach or whiten them, and this turns them into a sort of vegetable leather. Other fruits their advantages and drawbacks. Next in fullness probably come pears, though these have the disadvantage of containing a woody fiber, which is rather hard to digest, and they are, of course, poorer keepers than apples. Then come peaches, which have one of the most delicious flavors of all fruits, but which tend to set up fermentation and irritation in delicate stomachs, though in the average stomach, when eaten in moderation, they are wholesome and good. Then come the berries strawberries raspberries, blackberries, all excellent and wholesome, when fresh in their season, or canned or preserved, one warning, however, should be given about these most delicious, fragrant berries, and as it happens to apply also to several of our most attractive foods, it is well to mention it here, while perfectly wholesome and good for the majority of people, strawberries, for instance, are to a few perhaps one in twenty so irritating and indigestible as to be mildly poisonous. The other foods which may play this kind of trick with the stomachs of certain persons are oranges, bananas, melons, clams, lobsters, oysters, cheese, sage, and parsley, and occasionally, but very rarely, eggs and mutton. This is a matter which each of you can readily find out by experiment. If strawberries, melons, and other fruits agree with you, then eat freely of them, in due moderation, but if, after three or four trials, you find that they do not agree with you, but make your stomach burn, and perhaps give you an attack of nettle rash or hives, or a headache, then let them alone, the banana is of some food value because it contains not only sugar, but considerable quantities of starch about the same amount as potatoes, but, if bananas are not fully ripe, both their starch and sugar are highly indigestible, while, if overripe, they have developed in them irritating substances, which are likely to upset the digestion and cause hives or eczema, especially in children. Bananas should therefore be regarded rather as a luxury and an agreeable variety than as a substantial part of the diet. Food values of the different vegetables. The vegetables depend for their value almost solely upon the alkaline salts and the water in them, and upon their flavor. 
which gives an agreeable variety to the diet. Parsnips, beets, and carrots are among the most nutritious, as they contain some starch and sugar, but they so quickly pall upon the taste that they can be used only in small amounts. Turnips and cabbages possess the merit of being cheap and very easily grown. They contain valuable earthy salts, plenty of pure water, and a trace of starch, but these advantages are offset by their large amount of tough, woody vegetable fiber, this is incapable of digestion, and though in moderate amounts it is valuable in helping to regulate the movements of the bowels, in excess it soon becomes irritating, both of them, particularly cabbages, contain, also, certain flavoring extracts, very rich in sulfur and exceedingly irritating to the stomach, which cause them to disagree with some persons, if these are got rid of by brisk boiling in at least two waters, then cabbage is a fairly wholesome and digestible dish for the average stomach, and because of its cheapness and keeping power, it is often the only vegetable that can be secured at a reasonable cost at certain seasons of the year. Onions, especially the milder and larger ones, are an excellent and wholesome vegetable, containing small amounts of starch, although their pungent flavor, due to an aromatic oil, makes them so irritating to some stomachs as to be quite indigestible. Sweet corn, whether fresh or dried, is wholesome, and has a fair degree of nutritive value, as it contains fair amounts of both starch and sugar. It should, however, be very thoroughly chewed and eaten moderately, on account of the thick, firm and digestible husk which surrounds the kernel. Tomatoes are an exceedingly valuable, though rather recent addition to our dietary. They're fresh, pungent acid island like the fruit acids, wholesome and beneficial, and they can be preserved or canned without losing any of their flavor. They were at one time denounced as being indigestible, and even as the cause of cancer, but these charges were due to ignorance and distrust of anything new. Lighter vegetables, or paper foods, the lighter vegetables such as lettuce, celery, spinach, cucumbers, and parsley have, in a previous chapter, been classed with the paper foods, they are all agreeable additions to the diet on account of their fresh taste and pleasant flavor, though they contain little or no nutritive matter, the advantages of a vegetable garden, notwithstanding their slight fuel value, there are few more valuable and wholesome elements in the diet than an abundant supply of fresh green vegetables, everyone who is so situated that he can possibly arrange for it, should have a garden, if only the tiniest patch, and grow them for his own use, both on account of their greater wholesomeness and freshness when so grown, and because of the valuable exercise in the open air, and the enjoyment and interest afforded by their care, as vegetables and fruit are bulky and likely to spoil. On the long voyages of sailing vessels before steamships were invented bottles of the juice of limes a small kind of lemon were added, instead, to the hard tack and salt horse of the ship's stores. Because of this custom, the long voyage merchantmen who carried cargoes round the Horn or the Cape were for years nicknamed Lime Juicers. Chapter VIII Cooking Why We Cook Our Food While some of all classes of food may be eaten raw, yet we have gradually come to submit most of our foods to the heat of a fire. In various ways, this process is known as cooking. While cooking usually wastes a little, and sometimes a good deal, of the fuel value of the food and, if carelessly or stupidly done, may make it less digestible, in the main it makes it both more digestible and safer, though much more expensive, this it does in three ways, by making it taste better, by softening it so as to make it more easily masticated, and by sterilizing it, or destroying any germs or animal parasites which may be in it, cooking improves the taste of food, 
it may seem almost absurd to regard changing the taste of a food as of sufficient importance to justify the expense and trouble of a long process like cooking. Yet this was probably one of the main reasons why cooking came into use in the first place, and it is still one of the most important reasons for continuing it. No one would feel attracted by a plate of slabs of raw meat, with a handful of flour, a raw potato or two, and some green apples, but cook these and you immediately have an appetizing and attractive meal. Any food, to be a thoroughly good food, must taste good, otherwise, part of it will fail to be digested, and will sooner or later upset the stomach and clog the appetite. Cooking makes food easier to chew and digest. The second important use of cooking is that it makes food both easier to masticate and easier to digest. As we have seen, it bursts the little coverings of the starchy grains, and makes the tough fibers of grains and roots crisp and brittle, as is well illustrated in the soft mealy texture of a baked potato, and in the crispness of parched wheat or corn, it coagulates, or curdles, the jelly-like pulp of meat, and the gummy white of the egg, and the sticky gluten of wheat flour, so that they can be ground into tiny pieces between the teeth. We could hardly eat the different kinds of grains and meals and flours in proper amounts at all, unless they were cooked, indeed they require much longer and more thorough baking, or boiling, than meats. The amount of cooking required should always be borne in mind when counting the cost of a diet, as the fuel, time, and labor consumed in cooking vegetable articles of diet often bring up their expense much more nearly to that of meats than the cost of the raw material in the shops would lead us to expect. Cooking sterilizes food, a third, and probably on the whole, the most valuable and important service rendered by Cooking Island that it sterilizes our food and kills any germs, or animal parasites which may have been in the body of the animal, or in the leaves of the plant, from which it came, or, as is far the commoner and greater danger, may have got on it from dirty or careless handling, or exposure to dust, while it was undoubtedly the great improvement that cooking makes in the taste of food that first led our ancestors and probably chiefly induces us to use the process, it is hardly probable that they would have continued to bear the expense, trouble, and numerous discomforts of cooking. Had they not noticed this significant fact, that those families and tribes that had the habit of thoroughly cooking their food, suffered least from diseases of the stomach and intestines, and hence lived longer and survived in greater numbers than the raw fooders, we are perfectly right in spending a good deal of time, care, and thought on cooking, preparing, and serving our food, for we thus lengthen our lives and diminish our sicknesses. Civilized man is far healthier than any known, noble savage. In spite of what poets and storytellers say to the contrary, be three methods of cooking, be three chief methods of cooking baking, or roasting, boiling, or stewing, and frying have each their advantages as well as disadvantages. No one of them would be suitable for all kinds of food, and no one of them is to be condemned as unwholesome in itself. If intelligently done, although all of them, if carelessly, or stupidly, carried out, will waste food and render it less digestible instead of more so. In the main, the methods that are in common use for each particular kind of food, or under each special condition, are reasonable and sensible the result of hundreds of years of experimenting. The only exceptions are that, on account of its ease and quickness, frying is resorted to rather more frequently than is best, while boiling is more popular than it should be. On account of the small amount of thought and care involved in the process, roasting, or baking, roasting, or baking, is probably the highest form of the art of cooking, developing the finest flavors, causing less waste of food value, 
and requiring the greatest skill and care, on general principles, we may say that almost anything which can be roasted or baked, should be roasted or baked, on the other hand, roasting or baking has the disadvantage of taking a great deal of fuel and of time, and of being exceedingly fatiguing and annoying for the cook, making the labor cost high, and it cannot be used where a meal is needed in a hurry, if the process is carelessly done and carried too far, it may also waste a great deal of the food material, either by burning or scorching, or by the commoner and almost equally wasteful process of turning the whole outside of the roast particularly in the case of meat into a hard, tough, leathery substance, which it is almost impossible either to chew or to digest. Boiling. The advantages of boiling are that it is the easiest of all forms of cookery, and within the grasp of the lowest intelligence, that, on account of keeping the food continually surrounded by water, it leads to a less waste and is far less likely than either baking or frying to result in destroying part of the food if not carefully watched, and that it can be used in cooking many cheap, coarse foods, such as the mushes, graham meal, corn meal, hominy, potatoes, cabbages, turnips, etc. which furnish the bulk of our food. On the other hand, from the point of view of fuel used, it is the most expensive of all forms of cooking, and unless a fire is being kept up for other purposes, which allows boiling or stewing to go on on the back of the stove as an extra, without additional expense. Careful experiments have shown that the prolonged boiling needed by many of these cheaper and coarser foods, especially such as are recommended by most diet reformers, brings their total cost up to that of bread, milk, eggs, sugar, and the cheaper cuts of meat, all of which are more wholesome and more appetizing foods. The supposed saving in boiling meat, that you get two courses, soup and meat, out of one joint, is imaginary, for, as we have seen, the soup or water in which meat has been boiled contains little, or nothing, of the fuel value, or nourishing part of the meat, and all the flavor that is saved in this is lost by the boiled meat, rendering it not only much less appetizing, but also less digestible, you cannot have the flavor of your food in two places at once, if you save it in the soup, you lose it from the meat, frying, The chief advantages of frying are its marked saving of time, of fuel, and of discomfort to the cook. It also develops the appetizing flavors of the food to a very high degree. A wholesome, appetizing meal can be prepared by frying, much more quickly than by either baking or boiling, and with less than half the fuel expense. The drawbacks of frying come chiefly from an intelligent and careless methods of applying it. It is somewhat wasteful of food material, particularly of meats, although... If the fat which is fried out in the process can be used in other cooking, or turned into a gravy, a good deal of this waste can, 